Hi, welcome to Fast Talk Femme with Julie Young and Dee Dee Barry. Our guest on this episode is Shana Pallas, a lifelong multi-sport endurance athlete who is currently racing bikes professionally for DNA Pro Cycling and training for the 2024 Olympic Games. Shana grew up in the Sacramento area and comes from an extremely athletic and accomplished family. Her mother competed in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona as an endurance runner. Her father competed internationally with the U.S. military triathlon team in Ironman triathlons and also competed in cycling. Her brother Nielsen is a world tour professional road cyclist with the EF Education cycling team. And Shana's fiance, Eli Anku, is a professional football player who currently plays for the Buffalo Bills. In addition to her cycling accomplishments, Shana graduated from UCLA in 2016 with a bachelor's degree in psychology. She is a USA cycling certified coach and she is a member of the Oneida Nation. Shana and Eli co-founded a nonprofit organization called the Dreamcatcher Foundation, which is dedicated to empowering Native American youth through sports, focusing on football and cycling camps. It is also committed to bringing awareness to the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls pandemic sweeping across North America. Our discussion with Shana will focus on her background as a multi-sport endurance athlete and how her parents' guidance through her youth athletics was instrumental in developing the mental and physical foundation that has allowed her to thrive and succeed at the elite international level of sport. There are more female athletes in endurance sports than ever before. Yet until recently, female athletes simply followed advice and protocols that have been designed and tested on men. This is rapidly changing, and in our newest release from The Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel, we explore the art and science behind coaching female athletes with expert insights and advice from the likes of Dr. Stacy Sims, Allison Freeman, and Lauren Valley. Check out The Craft of Coaching, Module 12, Coaching Female Athletes at Fast Talk Labs today. Welcome to Fast Talk Femme. We're excited to have Shana Pallas join us today, and we feel lucky to grab a little bit of our time in between a very demanding travel and competition schedule. And having lived in Sacramento where Shana grew up, I've known Shana and her family for a little bit of time now and had the opportunity to work with Shana as her coach. And uh, we have a few things in common being UCLA grads. Shana, welcome to Fast Talk Femme. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. It's been a bit of time. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> Good to catch up. Definitely. Shana, we touched on your background in our intro, but can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you've been up to recently? Yes. I was born in Florida, but raised in Northern California, which is where racing all kind of started for me. Come from a very athletic family, both of my parents being athletes themselves for many years. My dad was an Ironman triathlete. My mom was a marathon runner and also dabbled in triathlons here and there. But yeah, yeah, I think having two parents who are very athletic and then having them inspire both my brother and I, who is also a professional cyclist for EF, which is a world tour team. Both of us having our parents to look up to from young ages really just inspired us to start racing and trying different sports around the same time that we could start walking. (laughs) 
but yeah, I'm, I'm just really blessed to come from a family that's super supportive of both my brother and I and everything that we do, whether it's sports or other endeavors in life, no matter what it is, our parents have always been our number one supporters. But yeah, so I've been racing professionally since I was 19 years old, but was racing well before then through the junior ranks, did every sport from like triathlons to swim team, track and field, cross country running basketball, volleyball, horseback riding, gymnastics, soccer, t-ball, probably forgetting a sport or two. But yeah, so I didn't really start focusing on cycling until high school years when I got into the Norca High School Mountain Bike League. So I started out doing that freshman year and then did that all through high school through senior year. And that kind of is where it all started for me and had some success there. But doing well in a lot of those races and then put my name out there with USA Cycling and helped get me an invite to do some talent ID camps with USA Cycling and do some racing over in Europe on the mountain bike side. So yeah, that really catapulted me to where I am today. It was like a solid stepping stone. And then transitioned to racing primarily road in 2017 and have been primarily focusing on that since then. And then started doing track racing for the first time last year, which is still something that is I feel like is fairly new for me still, but it's something that I really love and have grown to realize that it's a discipline that suits me pretty well. So yeah, ever since last year, it's just been like back and forth with the road and track and trying to balance and navigate the schedule between the two, which has been crazy, but I'm blessed that I'm able to do both. And I bet we'll talk more about this, but I would imagine all those disciplines really help with the other and play in your favor in terms of developing as an athlete. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I also didn't mention that I did race gravel for a while back in 2021. And was it last year as well? I think I might have done one race last year, maybe even in 2020. But yeah, 2021, that was like all I was doing was gravel racing and also Zwift racing. (laughs) Another discipline that I really found that I that I enjoyed a lot, especially during COVID when there was a real lack of in real life racing. That's all we had was Zwift racing at the time. But yeah, it was really cool because I feel like it really Zwift racing really helped teach me to to suffer like I had never done before. There's something about racing on the trainer that is so hard mentally and physically. And I feel like <laughs> ever since just diving headfirst into the Zwift racing world during COVID. I feel like it's helped take me to that next level of learning how to suffer and push more on the bike. And then I feel like it's also kind of like with track racing, it's just such short racing that you're just going full gas the whole time, like a Zwift race, but even shorter. So yeah, I feel like the crossover is definitely there between the disciplines with the amount of suffering that you have to endure. I guess Zwift races are also shorter But yeah, I feel like having that Zwift background, a background in mountain biking, which I feel like has also helped me with my bike handling skills, which of course crosses over to any other discipline pretty well, I think, definitely has (laughs) shaped me into the rider that I am today. Just having all that different experience in the different disciplines. But yeah, track is something that I'm pretty focused on for this year. And then next year, going into the, the Olympics, goal is to make the Team Pursuit Squad for the Olympics next year. And then on the road side, of course, I'll keep balancing both road and track. But I think with road, it would also be great to to qualify for the Olympics on the road, although track is still my main focus. We'll see what I can do on the road in the next couple of years. I'm still developing on that side as well. Yeah. 
It's so fun to have things that are new again. And just as you said, it makes so much sense, like taking little bits and pieces from each discipline to make you a whole athlete emotionally and physically. So that makes a ton of sense. So in today's conversation, which I'm super excited about, we're basically going to focus on Shana's athletic development and career, like the three different stages of, of Shana's career and development. And so just starting off, like just as we've been talking, like cycling is booming. As Shana said, you know, like we've got so many choices now. We've got gravel, Zwift, all these things, which I think there's many factors contributing to that boom in cycling. But personally, like I tribute NICA and, and Shana, you'd mentioned the NorCal League. And that's for folks that don't know about NICA, it's the, it stands for National Interscholastic Cycling Association. And I think NICA has been a big reason for the growth of the sport and bringing it more into the mainstream. I mean, I think NICA will tell you, and they're pretty strong in their mission that it's simply getting more kids on bikes. They don't want to be a development tool. And I think they've done a great job at really throwing that wide net and drawing in big participation and kids of just all interests and abilities. Some kids are there just to hang out with their friends. Some kids are there to participate. Some want to jump their bikes. I always feel for the coaches that are <laughs> leading those programs because they're dealing with such a diverse set of interests. But Anyway, I think even though it's not Nike's intention to develop athletes, I think they've inadvertently become the best development tool and the best talent ID tool for USA Cycling. And Shane, I think you and Nielsen are proof of that. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's a contributor to the growth of cycling. I think, of course, better coverage. We're able to see these races from start to finish now really relate to the athletes. I think obviously there's more opportunity as well. And what I've seen, Shana, and this is obviously just my opinion, but working with a number of U23 athletes now, I do see this little league mentality creeping into sport, you know, and parents really pushing. And I think some of these parents may not have come from athletics as your parents did. Maybe they were very successful in the corporate world, which we know the formula for success in corporate world and sport is very different. I think a lot of times these parents may not have the respect and appreciation for the emotional and physical demands of sport. And they may not understand like the process and the finesse involved in that process. It becomes an art and science at some point to really work with that individual. Like there's no blueprint and it's not about just doing more or pushing harder, but just knowing when to work hard and when to pull back. And Shana, just having seen your family just from afar and just watched, you know, what your parents did. And I just have the utmost respect for your parents. And I think they obviously, they introduced you and Nielsen into sport early, but somehow they managed to, to navigate this really tricky situation of keeping like your sporting life fun and productive to keep you guys in it for the long game and to ultimately succeed at that elite international level, all the studies show you guys beat the odds. There's very few junior athletes that then go on to succeed at the elite international level. So I guess I'd love to hear from you, like what do you think your parents did differently to beat those odds and keep you guys in sport? Those are really great points you brought up. Like I mentioned earlier, both of my parents being athletes, I think my dad has done like 15 Ironmans or something like that. 
And my mom being literally an Olympic marathon runner who represented Guam in the 92 Olympics. I think both my brother and I just were like very lucky to be born into a family where we had parents like that to look up to. And I know that's not the case for most kids out there. I feel like we're definitely one of the very few who were just born into a family like that. I guess you can say like endurance sports is just in our DNA. <laughs> Literally, I feel like that's who we were born to be was like endurance athletes, both of our parents being endurance athletes. But again, yeah, I think we're certainly very lucky. And both of our parents, even though they really encouraged and supported us in all the sports that we've done through our childhood, they also never were the type of parents to overly push anything on us. Of course, they always would push us and encourage us to do as well as we could and to put the work in. And they were really always there to help keep us accountable, which was great. Technically, they were both our coaches all through our childhood. My mom, up until just recently, she's just retired. But for 30 plus years, she was a track and field and cross country collegiate women's running coach. So she coached both my brother and I in running in triathlons. And my dad, who was a cyclist and triathlete for so many years, who coached not just my brother and I, but had his own coaching business called Endless Coaching and worked with countless different athletes who were runners, swimmers, triathletes, cyclists. They were so involved in our lives with all the different sports that we were doing, whether it was triathlons, track and field, cross-country cycling, mountain biking. So yeah, we were definitely very blessed to, to have them and also very lucky to have them not be the kind of parents that <laughs> would uh, push us too much. They always were super focused on keeping things fun for us. We would always do fun workouts together. And if we just weren't feeling up for a certain workout on a particular day, if we were just super tired and run down from whatever the reason may be, like they were never the ones like forcing us to do all of that. So yeah, I feel like they definitely helped to keep us well balanced while at the same time still encouraging us and supporting us in whatever sport that it was at the time. Shayna, I think it sounds like you have great parents. <laughs> but I want to come back a little bit too to like how being a multi-sport athlete has affected your development and even your relationship with your parents. There's a lot of data to support the idea that being a multi-sport athlete can help you mitigate injury and it can also help you develop a wide range of skills, which you touched on earlier. You know, I was a multi-sport athlete and started pretty young and I felt like it really helped me to mitigate the risk of burnout. Do you feel like that was the same for you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, very true for me. Having done countless different sports growing up and even today, mixing it up during the off season with different sports like swimming and running, even things like hiking and playing beach volleyball somewhere by the ocean. I feel like just it's not just physically important. I feel like it's more so mentally important to keep things mixed up, especially as a professional athlete where you're just, you're so focused on one particular sport for a huge part of the year, especially in a sport such as cycling where it's such a long season. I feel like it's just so important to keep it mixed up whenever you can, especially in the off season, if you're able to. I feel like it's also really good when you're young to keep it mixed up as well, just because I feel like you're so young and you're still trying to figure out what you enjoy the most and also what you excel in the most. And I feel like me and my brother being exposed to so many different types of sports, I feel like <laughs> it was just chance almost that both of us ended up becoming cyclists and that those were the that was the sport that both of us just ended up 
sticking with, despite being exposed to all these other different kinds of sports. I still think it's interesting to this day how we both ended up being <laughs> pro cyclists after all the different sports that we went through. But so far, so good. It's worked out. <laughs> Shana, do you feel like you both stuck with cycling because that was where your strengths lied or you were more passionate about the sport of cycling or did you just have better support in terms of like sponsorship or like how did that decision come about for you? We had always been like very involved in triathlons when we were younger, road and mountain biking. We always did like all of the local triathlons in our area. And then we did some USA triathlons as juniors. And then we also did extra triathlons. And I feel like initially that was the sport that both my brother and I gravitated towards the most in our younger years, more than all the other different sports. And then once we were both in high school and then started being active in the NorCal High School Mountain Bike League, doing more mountain bike racing, and then have also having success in a lot of those kinds of races, I feel like that's where we figured out that was the sport for us. And it was also the sport that we just happened to enjoy the most. And yeah, with triathlons, I feel like the bike portion was always the leg that I enjoyed the most and found myself making up more ground on people. I was never really the strongest swimmer when it came to triathlons. I was decent at running, but also not the strong, strongest runner out there. But I feel like the bike portion was always where I knew that I was going to make up some ground on people coming out of the water and then going into the run, <laughs> both on the exterior mountain bike side and the road triathlon side. I feel like that was always where I would do the best. And then that was also the leg that I enjoyed the most. So, yeah. <laughs> at what age did you shift your focus completely to cycling? So in high school, all four years, I raced in the varsity high school races, but all through high school, I also did cross-country running. And then I also did track and field running freshman and sophomore year. And then after sophomore year, because the track and field and the, the high school mountain bike season conflicted in the spring, I decided to stop doing track and field and then just focus on the high school mountain bike races in the spring but then just continued with the cross-country running season in the fall through senior year. So yeah, I would say high school is where I figured out cycling and specifically mountain biking was what I wanted to continue focusing on, just solely focusing on after high school. And then I'd say when I got into college, that was when I was just focusing on mountain biking and then was dabbling in road racing collegiately as well. That's great. So were you on the national team for mountain biking? prior to racing on the road national team? I guess just with the racing and like the World Cups that I was doing as a junior in a U23, I don't think I was ever qualified to be officially on the national team, especially at the elite level. But I definitely did a lot of racing with the national team, whether it was like junior World Cups, U23 World Cups, got to represent the U.S. at a few mountain bike world championships. My first one being in 2012 as a junior and then going through 2015 as a U23. And then that was my last time doing a mountain bike race at that level. <laughs> it was in 2015. <laughs> yeah. Are you a student athlete that's looking to up your game? Look no further. Hi, this is coach and physiologist Ryan Kohler at Rocky Mountain Devo. And I have over 20 years of experience working with junior athletes. I specialize in a physiology-based approach to training with a focus on finding improvements that can make the biggest impact on your end goal. I'd love to work with you. So check out more at RockyMountainDevo.com. 
So I'm curious, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to your transition from being a U23 athlete to elite. Because I think that when I look back on our career, Julie and I's, a lot of athletes struggled to make that jump to the elite level. But you seem like you exemplify what it takes as a talented cyclist to make it in the sport. And you seem to have made that transition really well. And you made it in an era where there wasn't quite as much opportunity and like established pathway as there is right now to the professional level. So I'd like to just hear a little bit about how that transition went for you and what it took for you to stay the course, basically. So yeah, up until 2017, I was just pretty much focused on mountain bike racing only. I would dabble in road racing here and there, like at the collegiate level and then just doing local races. But it's interesting because my brother was following my footsteps and was also primarily a mountain bike racer up until later on in high school. And then he ended up switching to road racing before I did. And then seeing him do really well on the road and then get invited to join some pretty big teams was super inspiring to me. And then I also ended up making that same switch a couple of years after he did. And I think that was in 20, yeah, 2017 was when I ended up switching from mountain biking to road. But I guess backing up a little bit more geared towards your question, going from U23 to to elite, it was interesting because being a mountain bike athlete all through my junior years and then all through my U23 years. So like when you make that jump from being a junior to a U23, I aged out of being 18, being a junior. And then once I turned 19, I was U23. And then that pretty much auto qualified me to race as a pro, all the pro XCTs, all the US cups within the US. Yeah, I guess I technically got my pro license when I aged out of being a junior as a mountain bike athlete. And then I didn't get my pro road license until 2017 when I switched from mountain biking to road. And that was, so I made the switch when I got an offer to ride with Team 2020, which was actually called Shower 2020 at the time. And then just had a mutual friend put in a good word for me and knew the director of the team at the time. And then that's when the team reached out and then offered me a pro license and offered me a spot on their team. And I, at the time, I saw it as an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. It was nice because I know also at the time, I don't know if the system is the same, but you have to... Of course, you have to start as like a cat five on the road, (laughs) especially if you haven't done a ton of racing on the road. But I guess I was lucky having that mountain bike background and being a pro on the mountain bike side, I think helped me get that pro road license in 2017 when I switched. So yeah, I feel like it was definitely a big jump racing as a junior U23, going into the elite ranks and then racing pro on the road immediately after (laughs) switching from mountain biking to road. Definitely was a bit of a learning curve, but at the same time, I feel like having that mountain bike background helped me develop those skills to to ride and race pretty confidently on the road and navigate myself through the peloton. And I feel like road racing can be almost just as chaotic as racing on the mountain bike. <laughs> I feel like I, I had the right mentality going into it. Of course, the bike handling skills were there. And yeah, it was just, it was a really fun switch. I'm glad it, it happened the way it did. No regrets. And what about sponsorship? Like, has it been financially viable for you or have you had to supplement 
especially when you were making the transition, did you have to supplement by working other jobs? Yes, I've done a various amount of different things for a second source of income or even a third source of income. Like starting out racing professionally, like my first couple of years, I wasn't making any kind of salary. Pretty much all my years as a mountain bike racer, I was never making a salary, but it was nice because everything was covered. So expenses such as like travel, race entries, equipment, gear, all that stuff was covered, which was really nice. And also as well as my road teams that I was with, Showwear 2020 for the first couple of years, everything was covered, which was great, even though I wasn't making a salary. But I feel like that's pretty standard. Even this day and age, I feel like if you're a first year pro, even a second year pro, like it's pretty normal to not really be making a salary or hardly anything at all. I know that's not necessarily the case for everybody, but I feel like that's the norm. But yeah, it wasn't, it pretty much wasn't until my third year racing as a professional road racer where I started making something. And then ever since then, it's been a little bit more each year, which is really nice. But yeah, especially those first few years, not making any sort of salary, like I would do anything from driving Uber, being a a Postmates delivery driver. I would also work in a PT clinic as a rehab technician for a couple of years, which is something that I really enjoyed. And actually, I I wouldn't mind getting back into the PT field at some point in the future, maybe after I'm done racing. I've also been a coach since 2018. So that's definitely another big source of my income is through my coaching. But yeah, so (laughs) it's been interesting, the things I've done in the past. One of the most interesting things was definitely being an Uber driver while living in Los Angeles for all of my years in school and then even for a couple of years after graduating, when I was still living there, I was still using Uber driving as another source of income. It was interesting because I got to meet a lot of very interesting people. And <laughs> there was a couple sketchy moments here and there. LA is not always the safest place to be in certain parts of LA as an Uber driver. So I definitely learned which places to avoid as a driver, which places were a lot better to work as a driver. But yeah, it was something that I definitely enjoyed at the time. <laughs> Shayna, I think you just, from what you said, you really are an example of what it takes as a female cyclist in the U.S. because there are so few opportunities and you just did whatever it took to make it happen. And we're super scrappy and determined and I love those qualities. And I think like you said about being the Uber driver, everything is what you make of it, right? It's like, oh, that was kind of fun. I learned different things and I like that attitude. I was also a Lyft driver. So Lyft is basically the same as Uber, but I forgot to mention that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You had mentioned Zwift and then just talking about like your skills going onto the road. And we've just interviewed Ashley Molman-Passio and we were talking about Zwift and what an important tool it was for her. But we're also talking about you can hit those numbers, but Being in that pro peloton, there's so many other factors that go into a successful performance. And especially when you get into Europe where it's pretty chaotic on the roads and those on those small roads and terrible weather conditions with 140 other riders. So I'm sure like like you had said before, all those things you've done in the past really added to your toolkit to make you that whole athlete to deal with all those different circumstances. Yeah, like I mentioned, having that very well-rounded background with all the different disciplines, different sports, different activities, 
yeah, I feel like it definitely helped shape me into not just the type of writer I am today, but also the kind of person I am today. I feel like at this point, having that background in all those different disciplines, it almost makes me inspired to like want to even try BMX because BMX is something that I have not tried before, but it's one of the disciplines that I have yet to try. But I feel like that could also maybe help take me to the next level when it comes to that punchiness on the bike and that bike handling skills. Who knows? Maybe that could be like my next venture at some point. But yeah, I actually know some track riders, specifically some sprinters who have that background in BMX and then converted to the track. So maybe it could be the reverse for me at some point. Maybe I might want to get into BMX after retiring from track and road. Who knows? Shayna, what's it like for you right now balancing track and road? Like, what does your season look like? And what's it going to be like leading up to Worlds if you end up competing in Worlds this year? Has that been a good balance? And and I'd just like to know like how complimentary you feel the two disciplines are. Yeah, it's a bit crazy, to be honest. I guess schedule-wise, because they totally overlap with each other, which is a bummer. It didn't used to be that way because the track season used to be late fall, early winter time, which of course is pretty much the opposite season of the road season. But now it's very spring heavy with all of the nation's cups, which there's three of, they're all in the spring, pretty much back to back February and through March, which is when a lot of the road racing is happening, unfortunately. This year, it's been especially tough because of doing all three Nations Cups. Last year, I think I only did two of the three. Yeah, last year and this year was definitely a bit tough. There was definitely some road races that I had to sacrifice in order to be available for all the Track Nations Cups and then also available for all the camps going into and in between all the Nations Cups. Track is definitely a a huge time commitment especially with all the travel for the Nations Cups. The first one this year was all the way in Jakarta, Indonesia, which, of course, is on the other side of the world. Not convenient to get to. (laughs) And then the second one was in Cairo, Egypt, which is also not the easiest place to get to and from. And then the third one was actually nice because that was in Milton, Canada, and it's only like an hour and a half away from us here in Buffalo, which is nice. So that one was definitely the most convenient one to get to. But yeah, I think um, next year it'll probably be equally as crazy with the travel and the time commitment, especially with it being an Olympic year. And probably it's going to be also more intensive with the track camps and the buildup leading into all the track events. And then, of course, for the Olympics later in the summer, there's also Pan Am Champs, which is usually in the summertime. That was one of the races this year that I opted not to go to just to prep myself for road nationals, which is coming up next week. And just the timing didn't work out super well with my schedule, unfortunately. But yeah, this year Worlds is Super Worlds, which is interesting because it's all of the disciplines aside from cyclocross, I believe, in one place within 10 days of each other in Glasgow, Scotland. So Worlds is definitely a big goal for me on the track side and then I'd also love to qualify on the road as well, which I think will be possible if Nationals goes well next week. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard to balance both and just mostly in terms of the scheduling. But I feel like also doing a lot of track has helped me with develop that top end punchy type power on the road has helped me become more of a sprinter type power person on the road. And then road has also just helped me develop that diesel engine type power, which also comes in handy on the track course for 
the slightly longer event, which is the team pursuit. And then the IP2, which is also considered an endurance event, even though it's only like three minutes long and the TP is only four and a half minutes long. But yeah, I feel like they definitely complement each other well, as long as you are mindful of how you're doing the structured training and like how you're timing the road events with all the track events and making sure you're not doing too much all at once, which I feel like I was very close to doing this year with all of the track and road racing being so condensed in the springtime was definitely feeling pretty tired after our spring blocks. I'm just so happy that I got to have more time at home uh, this month, especially going into into road nationals. When you're home, do you have access to a track? Unfortunately, no. (laughs) And when you guys are at camps, are you always near a track? Yeah, so our camps are always in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center out there. And then, yeah, right next to the Olympic Training Center is the, the velodrome, which is super nice. They're only like a few blocks apart from each other. So we always just stay on campus at the OTC. And then we're usually there for like two, maybe two and a half, three weeks tops at a time for our camps going into races. Sometimes we'll have off-season camps like in the fall, wintertime, more like kind of base building type stuff. But yeah, it's a nice track. I mean, it's not the smoothest track. It's like an indoor 333 concrete track, which is definitely not the type of tracks that we race on. Typically what we race on are they're like 250 meter wooden tracks, which is quite different than what we train on. <laughs> but I, I do like the track we train on because I feel like it makes us stronger because it's at altitude. And it's once you convert from the track there to like the nice 250 indoor track, it's just like riding on butter. It's so nice. And you feel like you're flying. How was it for you? Like the first time you got on a track with those steep walled banks? A little terrifying. (laughs) It was really fun. Don't get me wrong. From the start, it was always fun for me. But yeah, it definitely was a little bit daunting at first, you know, especially more so my first time on a 250 rather than the 333 meter, just because the 250 meter tracks, the bankings are like 43% or something like that. And you just walk up to it and it's like a wall and it just looks like it's a vertical just wall. And yeah, it can be definitely a bit daunting at first, especially just looking at it. But it's actually, once you hop on the track and then you actually start rolling around and get your speed going, it's really not bad at all. And I feel like I was I picked it up pretty quickly and yeah, I got used to it pretty quickly, thankfully. Shayna, do you do any of the bunch events like the Madison or points race? Sadly, not yet. No, I would love to at some point. I think it's just a matter of time before I get that opportunity, but definitely at some point I would like to try it. But for now, I've just been a TP and IP person. At some point when you're in Buffalo, you should come up and race in Milton because there's racing almost every weekend through the winter, fall and winter. Yeah, I considered that this past winter, but I didn't have a track bike with me at the time. So I would need to, I think this next winter, if we end up staying in Buffalo, I would definitely love to to get up there as long as I can get a track bike to use. And yeah, I would just, I would think it would be great for off-season training. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place to train too. It's such a nice facility. We're really lucky to have access to it. Yeah, and you're right next to it being in Toronto. So I'm sure yeah. you've been to it many times. Yeah, my my son races quite a bit out there. I don't ride on it that much myself, but he's out there a few days a week. Oh, cool. What events does he do? A little bit of everything. He's 15. So yeah, he does it all I think, and enjoys it all. Awesome. That's good. <laughs> it's good to mix it up with all the events, especially at that age. Yeah. 
You continue to give back to the sport through your foundation. And I'd like to hear a little bit about the projects that you're involved with and who you support. Yeah, my fiance, Ely Onku, and I, Ely being a professional football player for the Buffalo Bills and also being a member of the Ojibwe Nation and myself being a member of the Oneida Nation, both decided to start a foundation called the Dreamcatcher Foundation back in 2018, I believe, is when we first started it. And that came about with the help of his football agents and then also with the help of this organization called Athletes and Causes that partners with professional athletes in helping start their own nonprofits. And so, yeah, they do a lot of work for us, like behind the scenes work. And then we're really instrumental in helping us get the foundation started. But yeah, basically through our foundation, we just aim to empower Native youth through sports, such as cycling and football. And then we also aim to raise awareness of the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls crisis in North America, which is something that most people have never heard of, but it's something that everybody should know about. It's crazy, the statistics surrounding that. Native American women are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than the national average. And that's just one of the few crazy statistics surrounding the MMIWG crisis in America and Canada. Yeah, that's one side of the foundation. We just aim to raise awareness, whether it be through social media. We also host fundraisers, one to two fundraisers per year to raise funds towards donating to give to organizations actively combating the MMIWG crisis. And then part of the funds from those fundraisers also go towards events that we put on for Native youth on various reservations. One of the events being a football camp that Ely and I hosted back in 2019, I believe it was, in his hometown of Ottawa, Canada. And it was a huge turnout. We had 150 kids show up. It was totally free of charge for all the kids. Just a one-day football clinic. It was great. We loved it, and it was a huge success. So we would definitely love to host another camp like that in the future, maybe sometime within the next couple of years. And then we also last year hosted a bike rodeo event where we were able to raise enough funds to donate 100 bikes and helmets to the youth of the Seneca Nation, which is actually right up here in the Buffalo, New York area. So we actually got to go out to the both the Cattaraugus and the Allegheny reservations, both part of the Seneca Nation, and donate those bikes and helmets for the kids. And then also get to talk to them about what it's like being pro athletes and then teach them about bike safety. I even got to bring my own bike and do a ride with all of the kids on both reservations, which was super fun. So yeah, we would definitely love to host another event like that sometime within the next couple of years. But yeah, as of right now, we're just looking forward to our next fundraiser that we're going to host through our foundation, which is it's called the Peace Love Art Auction, where we're trying to gather a lot of different Native artists from both Canada and the U.S., And we're going to auction off a bunch of their art with part of the proceeds going towards our next event. Hi, listeners. We're so excited that you're here to check out Fast Talk Femme, a new podcast series that's all about the female endurance athlete. Here at Fast Talk Labs, we pride ourselves on being the pioneers of information and education in the endurance sports world for both athletes and coaches. If you like what you hear today, check out more at fasttalklabs.com. Shana, we've discussed in previous episodes the value of balance in an athletic life and that not all the eggs are in that athletic performance or that athletic career, but 
having that balance. And it seems to me that this provides you with that focus to throw yourself and your attention into this. And I always feel like these kind of projects feel like you're giving, but then when you get involved, you realize you're getting so much more back. So do you feel like that helps you balance out your life and keep some perspective as opposed to just everything being focused on that cycling career? Oh, definitely. Definitely helps me keep a clear side of the bigger picture. Being native also and being an athlete, especially at the professional level, I feel like is it's something that I, I mean, I take a lot of pride in. And native people are arguably the most underrepresented demographic in sport, whether it's cycling, football, whatever sport, you name it. I feel like it's not every day that you see native athletes at that elite level. Me and my brother being native athletes, it's something that we definitely both take a lot of pride in. Same with Ely being a pro football player. We just feel like it's something that we'll always take a lot of pride in. And it's also something that we always, always want to help inspire that next generation of native athletes, whether it's to get into to sports, get into sports at the elite level, or whether it's just to lead healthier lifestyles. Like we just really want to help inspire that next generation. And Hopefully one day we'll see more Native athletes in sport, especially at the elite level. That's definitely one of my big goals. Aside from my personal racing goals, of which there are many, I just really aim to inspire that next generation of Native athletes. I was thinking about that, Shana, as as we were preparing for this episode and we were talking about you and Nielsen and, and reaching that elite level. And to me, it's just, in my opinion, it doesn't matter where kids take sport. I feel like sport is such a great venue to learn so much about yourself and to develop that character. And, you know, I just think about all those lessons we learn in sport where we're dealing with adversity or we're dealing with disappointment and discouragement and learning to pick ourselves up or, you know, we're setting a goal and we're experiencing the ups and downs on the way to that goal, but we stay the course and we reach that goal and it's such an incredible feeling. And I think, again, no matter where kids take the sport, those lessons are always going to be with the kids. And it really does translate over into real life. It translates into life after sport. I always love the idea of just like developing high performing humans. Agreed. Yeah, me too. (laughs) That's also part of why I decided to get into coaching myself. I just feel like inspiring people, whether it's to get more fit or even playing a small role in helping them achieve their athletic and racing goals. I feel like it's just one of the most rewarding things you can do. And yeah, I feel like even long after I'm retired from racing, I definitely want to continue my coaching and then also continue my nonprofit work with Ely and even doing more than what we're already doing with our nonprofit work. I feel like I'll definitely, one of these days I will have more time to dive headfirst into hosting multiple camps throughout the year through our nonprofit and also camps with like athletes that I coach as well. Yeah. It's something that I'm super passionate about and will continue doing for as long as I can. Awesome. So what are your goals for the rest of the year specifically? Great question. First and foremost, make the track worlds team for team pursuit. That's like the big short-term goal at the moment. And then on the road side, another big goal is to make the road worlds team for this year as well. I've been able to get some decent results on the road so far this year and had some decent results last year as well, which I think will help get me there. But yeah, another big goal is nationals this year, which is 
coming up literally next week. I would love to win nationals in the road race. I was close to podiuming last year. I would think I was like six seconds off of third in the road race. I think I have a pretty good shot at at least podiuming, but also getting the win. I think if it comes down to a sprint finish from like a reduced bunch, which this race normally, that's normally what happens. I think I'll have a good shot. There's also normally like a breakaway that happens in the road race. So I think I need to be just extra attentive to that. And then knowing when to go and who to follow. But yeah, that's like my immediate short-term goals at the moment. And then, yeah, long-term goals include next year being at the Olympics. Nice. Will you have team support at nationals? Yep. We'll have DNA there. We'll have our director there, multiple directors. We'll have two or three there. And then we'll have our mechanic there, Swanier, and then we'll have a full team of eight riders, including myself, which is like a full squad, which I'm really excited about. I don't think I've ever been at nationals where I've had a full team of eight riders. It'll be really fun and we'll have a strong team there. So I think we have a good shot at pulling off some good results. Nice. Team is everything in cycling. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Of course, it always takes a village. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Shana, as we are wrapping up, if there are three pieces of advice you could give to an aspiring female endurance athlete, what would that be? I guess one of them being what I was just talking about setting short-term and and long-term goals for yourself. I think setting goals is so important ultimately so you can just help yourself stay motivated in the present moment and while at the same time having your sights on the bigger picture. Yeah, I would say that first and foremost is a big piece of advice. I would also say never underestimate rest and recovery. I think rest is always just as important as hard training and is just as essential to building and maintaining fitness as training hard. So yeah, never underestimate your rest and recovery. I feel like over the years, <laughs> at least the older I get, I feel like the more I learn to appreciate <laughs> rest and recovery is just as important as the hard training. And yeah, I never underestimate it. I would also say definitely maximize on every challenge and opportunity that presents itself without hesitation or fear of failure. Yeah, I feel like it can be so easy to, to doubt yourself and have that fear of failure when faced with a big challenge. But I feel like you have to overcome that and still maximize on every opportunity that you get, especially when you're young, so that you never have any regrets, right? <laughs> Love those, Chena. So good. Love your emphasis of rest to recovery and no regrets. Yep. <laughs> Shana, thank you. It was really lovely speaking with you today. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It was super nice catching up. And yeah, I had a blast chatting with you both. That was another episode of Fast Talk Femme. Subscribe to Fast Talk Femme wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk Femme are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback and any thoughts you have on topics or guests that may be of interest to you. Get in touch via social. You can find Fast Talk Labs on Twitter and Instagram at Fast Talk Labs where you'll also find all of our episodes. You can also check them out on the web at fasttalklabs.com. For Shayna Palace and Dee Dee Berry, I'm Julie Young. Thanks for listening. <laughs>